think about it, I do say it every single week. <laughs> I don't know, I get excited about God's Word. I don't know about you, but man, when I open up God's Word, and, the, and it says it's living and active, it's living and active. Every day I open up, and I'm like, whoa! And God shows us something new. I mean, it, it never gets old because there's always something. There's always, because it's living and active, there's no limit to understanding God. And if we don't get it, so there's a lot of dead churches with dead pastors preaching dead sermons. And here's the thing is I'm so glad we're not dead. And I'm so glad that we don't read a dead book. It is living and active. So when we open up the word of God, we are seeing something that, that is, continues to grow and, and build and, and, and take us deeper. So today I want to talk about the power of the resurrection. I want, to, I want you to see that so how powerful of a, of a movement that this was. This is, I, was, I began after Easter, you know, like, woo, you know, you, you finally, because there's so much pressure. I don't know, you guys don't know this maybe, but for a pastor, there's so much pre- pressure on Easter. It's like the Super Bowl, you know, Super Bowl for church, right? And I'm like, you know, you, you plan for months, you know, and, and, and prepare. And it's like, man, you know, there's going to be a lot of visitors. There's a lot of new people. And you want to make sure that the word of God is, 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 is you're ready. And then, and then afterwards, you wake up Monday morning after Easter. And you're like, now what am I going to do now? You know, like, you know, everybody else's, you know, the, the, the football players, they went on vacation now. I'm like, oh, man. And, and, and then I said, God, what do you want to talk about? And so I've been praying, and I went to, to, to 1 Corinthians 15. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. We're going to talk about the power. And the reason why I wanted to show this is Paul, he, he was one of my favorite passages in Philippians chapter 3. Paul's talking about, um, he goes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. I mean, here's something that Paul, Paul was saying that everything in his life, he goes, I, I count all things a, a loss. Um, and, and he goes, for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. He says, everything in my life, in the King James, it calls it dung. If you don't know what dung is, it's poop. All right? I love being able to say the word poop in church because it's, it's in the Bible, dung, you know, and so I just got to, I got to turn it into our language. Nobody walks around and says, look at that pile of dung. We say poop in my house. Well, you might say something else. I say poop. Um, anyways, first, first, in fact, my little niece, my brother-in-law's here, um, his oldest daughter, Paige, one of the first words I taught her was poop. I'm really proud of that moment. I was like, I was uncle of the year for sure on that one. I'm like, poop. I was teaching her, we, I was playing chess and she goes, what's that? And I'm like, it's poop. And she goes, oh, it's poop. And I'm like, yeah. And I'll, she'll, I'll lift it up and she goes, what color is that? And I'm like, that's poop. And so then she walked around, there's Daniel's playing poop. And I'm like, well, that did not work out at all. You know, so like, well, all right. So anyway, so, but here's Paul and what he's doing here is he says, man, I want to, I want to know everything in my life is poo when I compare it to knowing God. And I hope that that is our heart today. I hope that that's the heart that God has in you, that everything in life is nothing when I compare it to just knowing Jesus. I mean, think about that. Think of the power of that statement. Everything in my life is garbage when I just think about knowing, having the privilege and the honor of just knowing Jesus. He says, then it goes, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. There is power that comes in the resurrection of Jesus. And he goes, I want to participate. Most people don't get excited about this part. I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Nobody signs up for that. And so, like, go to the welcome table and sign up for that one. Suffering and death like Jesus. Nobody marks those boxes when we put them out there. I'm just saying. Um, Attaining, and then he goes, somehow and somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. This is, there was, when they talked about the resurrection, Jesus, Paul wanted to, he went to a church and he goes, I resolved to know nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. This, this was a movement that changed the world. So I want to talk a little bit for just a moment about how many prophecies Jesus fulfilled. I've talked a little bit about it last week, but here's the things. How many prophecies did Jesus fulfill? For first and foremost, he, he fulfilled 48. He fulfilled 48 specific. And when I say specific, a specific, um, a, a specific uh, prophecy would be like this, that he would be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem. Everyone knew because it had already been declared by the prophets of old in the scriptures where he was going to be born. Everybody knew that. 
They knew it. It was, this is, this. so now he has to come from Bethlehem because that's what it said. So here's the deal. That's a specific. He is a, a born to be, a, it was born of a virgin. That was specific. Okay? He was going to be called a Nazarene. He was going to be in the line of Judah. He was going to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Those are specific things. That his hands and feet would be pierced. And, and, and also talked about that when he was hanging, they would strip his clothes off. And so these things are very specific. 48. 48. I told you that last, last week, just fulfilling eight of those specific was one to the 10th power, or one out of 10 to the 17th power which is basically impossible for anyone just to do. He didn't just do eight. Forty-eight. Forty-eight. You want to know how do you know that all this stuff that we're talking about is true? Forty-eight. But not there. 324 general prophecies. This would be where like in the book of Genesis and God was dealing with Adam and Eve in the garden and he said that that there was going to be war enmity between the woman's offspring and the serpent's offspring. But the the serpent was going to strike the heel but that that man would crush his head. In the end, the the man, some man, was going to crush the work of the serpent. That's a general. It wasn't super specific, but it's a general prophecy. There's 324 general prophecies that he fulfilled. Isn't that amazing? But you know what? It's not done yet. Jesus prophesied about his own resurrection. See, when we start talking about the power of the resurrection, it wasn't something that he didn't know about. It was something that he taught his disciples. And in, in Matthew 12, 39, it says, But he answered, and he said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's pretty specific, isn't it? He said that about himself. And he began to teach in Mark 8, 31. These are three, I'm giving you three passages. They're three separate times. This isn't the same story being retold by different disciples. This is three different times that he taught about it. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man would suffer many things and be rejected by elders and chief priests, scribes. He'd be killed and after three days, rise again. You see that? Three days. He's even telling them, after three days, I'm raising again. He's telling them before he was ever arrested. Isn't that Amazing. In the, in the book of John, chapter 2, he says, Jesus answered them and said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it has taken us 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. But he, he wasn't speaking of the temple. He was talking about the temple of God, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share a statement with you, and you're not going to like it at first. I just ask you just to not walk out yet. You guys hearing me? I'm, I'm going to say something, and, and, and we're not going to like it at first. There's going to be several things that I say today that you, you're not going to like, and, and we're going to be friends. Promise? Pinky promise? Everybody do this for me. Pinky promise. Okay, thank you. All right. Christianity died with Christ. Right? That's a deep one. Christianity died. Let, let me share this. So, so there was something that was so new and so powerful, something that ministered to so many different people, and had so many different followers. How could something so big die so quickly? See, Jesus, when he was arrested, multiple gospel um, accounts said all the disciples deserted him. All of them. All of them deserted him. It was recorded that Peter kind of followed behind a little bit. And when he got into the courts, out in the outer courts, people started saying, oh, you're, you're, with, you're one of his disciples. And Peter denied Jesus three times. He even denied knowing him. I don't even know this man. Think about this. That's a pretty big statement to say, I don't even know him. At the crucifixion itself, there was only one of the 12 disciples that showed up. That was John. He made sure that he put a record of himself going there. I was there. And he also made sure that he recorded that he was faster than Peter. I love that. After all of this happened, Peter even went back to fishing again. You guys remember that? John 21, John made sure that he recorded that Peter went to his old job again too. 
I think John and Peter had a little bit of a rivalry maybe there a little bit. But here's what I do want to let you know and what I want you to see. All abandoned him. Some denied him. Some returned to previous occupations. But I want you to hear this. No one was preaching the gospel. No one was sharing their faith. No one was gathering in the name of Jesus. So then my question is this. Then how did Christianity turn the world upside down? If it was dead because no one was doing this, from, that, from whatever the time period when Jesus was on the cross and he went into uh, uh, the grave, that, that, that this time period, there was no church. They were hiding. How could something that was dead, how could something just turn the whole world upside down? And if, you, if we don't understand how big of a movement this was, then we have not read our Bible and we haven't even looked in history because it's not just a thing that's in the Bible it's historic so out of nowhere Christianity exploded I mean out of nowhere no one was preaching no one was ministering no one was healing everyone was hiding they were all scattered no one so out of nowhere so here's the deal Acts 241 Well, actually, it's before then. At the day of Pentecost, but in Acts 2.41, it says 3,000 men were saved and baptized that day. One day, 3,000. This is out of nowhere. Everybody's hiding. One day, the day of Pentecost happens. The disciples come out of hiding, and they begin to preach a gospel. 3,000 people. One day. One day. Right? (laughs) Then... Five verses, six verses later, in 247, it said the Lord added daily. So you got the 3,000. Keep that in your, your calculators because I'm going to butcher this really bad. So, so there's 3,000, but then it goes on to say that added. So that was one day. But it said then it was describing the believers, and it was describing the church. And it said the Lord added daily to their number those who were being saved. So every single day people were getting saved. In Acts 4.4, many of those who heard believed, and the number grew to 5,000. So 3,000 in one day. God was adding numbers every day. They continued to believe, and now the number's up to 5,000. We're just in Jerusalem, guys. (laughs) More and more people believed in the Lord and added to their number daily. Acts 5.14. Acts chapter 6, the very next chapter, the number of disciples was increasing. Six verses later, Acts 6, 7, the word of God spread and the number of disciples increased rapidly in Jerusalem. Ooh, come on, right? I mean, we're talking about a movement. We're not talking about, hey, neighbor, we don't want this to get out. I mean, oh, the cat's out of the bag now. I mean, everyone's, I mean, this is, this is something that turned Jerusalem upside down. You see, they were hiding. There was no one preaching. No one sharing their faith. No one was gathering in the name of Jesus. One day, something happened. And in that day that something happened, the 3,000 people get saved. Every single day after that, 3,000 people were getting saved. Then they recorded a number of 5,000. And then they said, hey, and even after that, there's all these people. In Acts chapter 8, there was a great persecution against the church. They hated the church. They hated this new movement. They hated the Christian movement. And here's what happened. At that moment, there was a great persecution that broke out. Everyone was scattered. And here's what was amazing that it said in Acts 8.4. They preached the word wherever they went. So the persecution broke out. It didn't drive them like the first time into hiding. They scattered and took the word of God everywhere. So what changed? Like what I'm, what I'm wanting us to see is when we talked about the crucifixion and what Pastor Paul said, what's next, right? There was, there was this crucifixion. We, we even know that he raised from the dead right the third day. But, but even then, that wasn't the day of Pentecost. What happened between the time of, of, of his, the moment of his resurrection all the way? What, are the, what happened? What was the next thing that happened in the life of the church that went from, from everyone was hiding, no one was sharing their faith, to everyone sharing? their faith no matter what the cost. See, one of the things, uh, I'll get into that later. That's a whole nother slide. So before the resurrection, everyone scattered, but they kept the word of God to themselves. 
But after the resurrection, everyone scattered, but now they took the word of God and preached it everywhere they went. So there's two things that I want you to see that happened. The first thing is this. First, because everybody was hiding, first, people witnessed the resurrected Christ. It was dead. Nothing was happening until he began to show himself. So in Acts or 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3, it says, For I delivered to you first of all that which is received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, and then by the twelve. Now listen to this. After that, he was then seen by over 500, 500 brethren at once. This wasn't little people like, like, like incident, like, hey, I saw Jesus. Oh, yeah, I did too. You know how somebody could say, I caught a fish this big, and then somebody right next to oh, I caught a fish this big. And then somebody overhears and says, well, I caught a fish this big, right? It wasn't one of those things. 500 brethren at one time. Now, if everybody, if there was 500 separate brethren all repeating this, I don't know that the, 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 the account would be as powerful. When you have 500 at once, hmm? of whom greater the part they still was alive at the writing of this, some of them had died, fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by the apostles. The last of all, he was also seen by me. So here's what we know. Okay, there was 12 disciples. They all saw Jesus. Um, then, then you had the 500. So there's 500, then there's 512, but see, Judas killed himself. He had to be replaced by Matthias. So then there's, there's 513. Um, then, then it was, um, um, James. Okay. And then there was him, Paul, right? What number is that? 514, 515, right? So we know at the very bottom floor of how many people saw this, that, that was, that's the bottom floor of it. Okay. Now, in Acts 1, it says the former account I made of Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up, and after the Holy Spirit, he had given the commands to the apostles. We're going to talk a little bit about this given command, because the given command is something that also happened in what turned the world upside down. This given command is the Great Commission. The Great Commission was obeyed back then. Not today, but it was obeyed at least back then. Of whom he had chosen, he'd also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible. You see that word infallible? It means that it was proof. There, there's proof. People saw him. It wasn't like they, they, there was like no one saw him and they were just like, well, the empty tomb. It wasn't an empty tomb. It was the empty tomb and then they saw him. And been seen by during 40 days of speaking and pertaining. So not only did they see him, but he continued to teach for 40 days. 515 at the bottom level saw him, reported seeing him, and he lasted for 40 days teaching about the kingdom of God. You see that? 40 days. It wasn't a, a one time, hey, we, I think we saw, is that Jesus walking down? There was a lot of guys with long hair in that. You know what I'm saying? You know, a lot of guys with beards. You know, they all had, brown, you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, it would have been easy. But no, it wasn't just, hey, we thought we saw him. We're seeing him, and he's teaching us about the kingdom of God. But here's the second thing I want to bring out. So not only the first thing that turned the world upside down was that they witnessed with their own eyes the resurrected Christ, and the second is the giving and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 says, you, but you. Everybody say you. Yeah. Well, now that you is you. But you, all of us, this is not just a one, hey, it's just for those of the hearers of that time. But you shall receive what? Power. The Greek word is dunamis. It means a God power, not something of you. We're like a little firecracker. This is dynamite power. This is the power of God. He says, you shall receive power of God when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you, and everybody say you. You shall be. Now, I want you to hear me. He doesn't say you might be. You could be. He says you shall be. This is a fact. When you receive the Holy Spirit, something's going to happen. And that thing that's going to happen is you will be a witness of the living God. There's a lot of people in a lot of churches today that are not witnesses of God. They know a lot about God, but they have not yet received the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, something inside of you changes and you will be a witness of God. I think that's a hard part. 
I think there's a lot of fear. I think there's a lot of fear when it comes to the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of fear. I grew up Mennonite and went to a Baptist college, and, and then I, I, met, I met a lot of people who, and a lot of churches that I had pastored for a lot of years. We want God, we want church to grow, but we want it to, to grow how we want it to grow. Well, you don't get to decide that because you're not God. It's His church. He'll grow it however he wants to grow it. If he wants to, can can you imagine 3,000 people in one day? You got a building problem. You know, you got a building problem. We got a building problem all the time. We finish that down there and we're like, yeah, it'll be like a year. First day, all right, we're going into two, two services. We've been here less than 11 months, and we're throwing in every chair that we can find from any corner in this building. And when we, you know, so hey, we're always got a problem. But he says, you shall be my witnesses. So I want to show you something. The word shall be here, the word shall be is middle voice. And what that means is this, you're a part of the work. You don't have to do it all yourself, but you're going to work. Middle voice means God meets you in the middle. So what he does is he gives you the power and you be the witness. He supplies the power and you supply the willingness to open the jaw. We can talk about the weather. We can talk about the chiefs. We can talk about fishing. We can talk about turkey hunting and, and, and politics. Come on, stop it. Right? We can talk about all that garbage, right? Why can't we talk about Jesus? He says, I want, I'll give you all the power you need. You open your mouth. I'll give you the power, and that's what changed the world, was a partnership with the Holy Spirit. See, the word witness, I love it, is the Greek word martis. It's where we get the word martyr. Huh? Isn't that cool? But it actually means one who bears evidence. The word witness literally means that you bear evidence that God is real. That you bear testimony. Your life is a testimony. Your life is a witness that what you say and what you do and how you act and what you do at work and every area of your life should be a witness that God is living and because he lives in you. He's alive. He ain't dead. He's in your heart. All right. Here's what's so cool, though. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, Christianity was. I just love it. That, 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 that little time period where it was just done. Nobody, everybody was hiding, and then Christ shows up. He shows up in a resurrected form, and I'm telling you, everybody like turns the world upside down. What would be more motivating I want you to think about this. What would be, so if we know that the command that Jesus gave them was the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, and lo, I'll be with you always to the very end. That's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Here's the deal. What would be more motivating to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ than if you saw with your own eyes the risen Savior? Right? Right? If you saw that with your eyes, you'd be like, I'm up, let's go. Sign me up for that. Think about it. Before that, the disciples had quit. They were hiding. Well, that was fun while it lasted. I'm not going to the cross. And then they saw Jesus. Every one of those disciples but one was horrifically killed for their faith. John was the only one who died at an older age. But it's not like he got off easy. They boiled him alive in oil and then threw him in exile on the island of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. Boiled alive in oil. See, what I'm saying is, is for you to be willing to die meant your life was radically changed. 
So, in 1 Corinthians 15, 12, now if Christ is preached that He has also been raised from the dead, and how do some of you, some among you, say that there is no resurrection? How can we how can, so, so here's what he's saying. Is Paul's saying this. He goes, man, he's preaching Christ. He's saying, I'm preaching. Now, if Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some of you <clears throat> say that there's no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Listen, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty also. <clears throat> if Christ didn't raise from the dead, then we're wasting our time. I'm being honest with you. If Christ didn't raise from the dead, don't waste your time being here. <clears throat> but I, I looked at that and I underlined it. How do some among you? I, I started wondering, is this a thing? Is this a thing today where people maybe don't know or don't believe that? So I began to look and I found some disturbing things. Why do so many in the American church not believe in the physical resurrection of the Christ? Listen to this. 23% of Christians do not. Hear me? Christians. 23% of Christians, people who say they are a Christian, they believe in Jesus, right? Christians do not believe in the physical resurrection. Oh, something happened, but he wasn't physically raised from the dead. 20, that's one, almost one out of every four Christians. One out of four people sitting in a church. That would mean that 25% of you, one out of every four of you, statistically do not believe in the physical. Thank you, honey. <clears throat> and a cough drop to, wow, look at that. Probably start off here. Thank you, that's my daughter. <clears throat> Sometimes I preach and something happens in there. <clears throat> I wasn't ready. Um, 23%. That's pretty alarming, isn't it? Okay, now listen to this. <clears throat> Only 66% of Americans believe in the physical resurrection of Christ. To make matters worse, 31% of Christians do not believe in life after death. They don't believe that when you die, there's nothing that happens. Then what's the point? Then what would be the point of coming here? I'm telling you, you know what? My, like, I'm, I'm looking at, I got four kids in sports. Now, that may not be as bad as what your situation is. Maybe not. But I, one's in middle school track, middle school softball, high school track, high school softball. None of them have a game. Well, they all have games on the same day. But I mean, I, it, it's not in the same place. Like, two o'clock happens, and I start praying. <laughs> Just come back right now. I don't want to go here, 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 and here. I'm tired. I mean, I'm telling you, the one day that our school doesn't plan something is on a Sunday. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, I promise you I wouldn't be here. I'm just being honest. I mean, if, it's, if this is not real and I don't actually believe in life after death and it's only just having your best life now, then stay home. Have your best life resting in pajamas and watching TV. But see, that's what I, I don't believe that. I believe that, that it's not my best life now. It's the best life is the one to come and I, I want to see that and I want to worship God every single day until that day comes. A third of all Christians do not believe in a life after death. That is the saddest thing I've ever heard. People who claim to be followers of Jesus don't believe in his physical resurrection, then you don't believe in Jesus. People claiming to be Christians and not, and not believing that something, that's the whole point of the resurrection. The whole point of the resurrection was so that you could raise that you could be forgiven. An atheist once said, I, I believed what you say you believe about heaven and hell. I would crawl across broken glass to the four corners of the world to warn my friends, but you won't even cross the street. So no, I won't believe. The greatest cause of atheism is us. We're the greatest cause of atheism. 
because we don't carry the great commission forward. We get saved and we're comfortable. That's why 4,000 churches shut down every single year. 4,000. 3,000 churches get started, huh? But only 1,000 make it past one year. Do the math. The American church is dying. And it's dying because we don't really believe what we say we believe. And I'm just being honest. We don't believe, we don't really believe what we say we believe. Not to the point of it changing our lives anyways. If our Savior has risen and we believe it, then why aren't the believers fulfilling that final commandment of Jesus Christ? See, 56% of the church prays pray once a week for an opportunity to share their faith. Half of the church says, God, give me an opportunity some point this week. That's pretty good. I mean, it's better than what it could be. But only 23% of Christians pray every day for an opportunity. God, give me an opportunity today to be your witness. Because he says, you'll receive the Spirit and you what? Will be. You will be my witness. So God, help me. I wished our youth would be praying for every day an opportunity to be a light in a dark place. I wish our parents would be praying to be that light in a dark place. 27% never pray for an opportunity at all. People who are Christians, people who say, I believe in Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross, don't give me an opportunity, I don't want it. And that, I mean... Not even asking for an opportunity. The worst one is yet to come. 10% of church goers. Everybody say church goer. That's, that's not somebody who claims to be a Christian. That's somebody who's actually showing up to church. 10% of church goers have one, one conversation about God per month. Are you kidding me? We should be having conversations every single day with our kids. We should have conversations every single day about the God who died for us, who died for our sin, who forgave us and gave us everlasting life. Is that not a big deal to us? Once per month. At first I misread it the first time. I'm like, once a week? Okay. Once a month? From churchgoers? That would mean that one out of every ten of you here sitting in this service right now only have one conversation about God per month. This isn't sharing your faith to a lost person. This is just talking about God. Of church-going Christians, 45% have never invited someone to church. Almost half of the church has never invited someone to church, while 95% of Christians have never led someone to Christ. While we're talking about inviting, for you who are older in your faith, <clears throat> there's a really tough statistic. It says 62% of churchgoers over the age of 65 say they have not shared their faith in the last six months. It goes on to say that if you are younger in your faith, you have a greater chance of sharing your faith. So new believers share their faith so much more than those who have been saved a long time. That's why youth are a lot, a big part of movements. The great revivals that have broken out in our colleges, young people. What happens is we get complacent in our faith. And we stop talking about the thing that changed our life. 80% do not consistently share. This is church-going Christians, not just people who say they're a Christian. These are people who go to church. 80% of the church does not consistently share its faith. How many of you would agree today, just by the raising of your hand, if you were dying and you knew that you had one last opportunity to... Share your final words to somebody. How many of you would think that the final words that you would want to say were important? Do you know what the last words that Jesus said 
Go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded, and lo, I'll be with you always. Do you think that's important? Those were his last words. If you think that your last words are important, I can promise you this. Jesus' last words were of the vital importance, and the church isn't doing it in America. China, oh yeah, China. We're talking about America, though. The American church is dying. 71% of church-going Christians will not financially support missions, evangelism, or anything that's going outside of the church. Meaning 71% of the Christians that do give only want to give of things that support inside of our walls. What's a soul worth? You guys have gotten really quiet. Because it's true, isn't it? I mean, this is some tough stuff, isn't it? And this isn't, I'm not doing this because I'm angry. I'm doing this because I'm concerned. Not so much concerned just about living water. I'm looking at this is what's happening across the nation. I mean, I see salvations here all the time because we are doing more in the Great Commission than most of the churches around us. But I'm wanting to say this. Guys, this is, this is serious. This was the, the biggest movement that ever happened. 2% of church-going Christians are involved in any form of evangelism. 2%. The moment we say, hey, we're going to go door to door. Where did everybody go? Going on a mission trip. I know it's scary. Do we not think that Jesus didn't struggle going to the cross? Father, if there's a way for this cup to pass, but not my will. What if we started praying that? God, I'm terrified to go to my neighbor. I'm terrified to share with my coworker. But your will. But your will, your kingdom, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Let's talk about leaders. Now that I've made everybody else mad, I'm going to make my leaders mad. You guys ready? They're all like, do not ask us to raise our hand who are leaders. 63% of leaders in the church, including deacons and elders, have never won one person to Christ. We're supposed to be leaders. We're supposed to lead. 49% of leaders spend zero time in ministry outside of the church walls. So basically, if it's not my ministry in my church walls, I'm not doing it. 49%. Basically, 50% of leadership. You ready for the worst one? 96% of leaders believe that if the church would would grow if they were involved in ministry outside the church and still don't do it. That's sad. See, as as, as the leaders go, so goes whatever's following them. If leaders will not step up and share their faith, then why would we ever ask our people to? That's why there's a lot of dead churches with dead pastors preaching dead sermons and there's no life because they're not sharing life. So what's the point to all of this? (laughs) Here's what I'm bringing. I'm bringing it home. Has what you believe about Christ and the resurrection, what you believe about Jesus, has that turned your life upside down? Has your life been turned upside down for Jesus? That's what I'm, I mean, the first thing is this, before we start talking about outside of my house, I need to talk about my house. Am I, has has Jesus so changed my life that I've been turned upside and inside out for Jesus? Because when that happens, then the world around you begins to turn upside down for Jesus or they'll crucify you. I mean, it's one of the two. You're either going to change those around you or you're going to get stoned to death. Those are the two options. 
But the problem is, is that we haven't. So many people have not really been so changed by God that it's changing the world around them. Because Jesus is contagious. You get a little bit of Jesus, and it starts changing everything. And you get fired up, and you're like, man, somebody's going to listen, or I'm getting fired from my job today. I can't tell you when I was in high school how many times I almost got fired at Pizza Hut. My, my manager, she, she, she was so sweet. She goes, Daniel, stop sharing your faith. And I'm like, I'm your best waiter. Are you going to fire me? She goes, no. I'm like, I don't know. I invited everybody to church. <laughs> like, you go to church? I, I ran into a Satanist uh, at the music contest. I did not know at first. I'm like, do you guys go to church? And I said, you should come to church. You know, I'm, we're, we're the ones I drive by it every time. And then I looked at the shirt. <laughs> it was a Satanist. And the shirt said, not today, Jesus. And I'm like, oh. Holding a little tiny child. And it devastated my heart. That child is being raised in a house that is headed straight to hell. I remember the mother, I asked her specifically if they would come to church, and she says, it's not my thing. And I'm like, what? And I, 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 I was so ashamed when I started sitting there and processing. I'm like, why didn't I ask more questions? I think I was so taken back by the shirt, and it just so disappointed me. I'm like, what do you mean it's not your thing? Like heaven and hell's not a thing? To, to, it would be the biggest thing. But we don't have enough Christians that really live it. We don't have enough Christians standing up for their faith. And it hasn't turned their life upside down, so it's not going to turn anybody else's life upside down. And she goes, I, the last time I was in church was when you was the pastor, and I was 12 years old, and I felt ashamed again. I didn't do enough then. When's our lives going to be turned upside down for Jesus? So I'm going to go back. i got a couple more passages I want to read. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 where we left off and he says, and we apostles, so he's talking about preaching the, the resurrection of Christ. He says, and we apostles would all be lying about God for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless. I mean, I want you to think for a moment. What are the implications if there's no resurrection? Because, I mean, that's the most miraculous thing that can happen is being raised from the, the dead. So a lot of times people are like, well, there's something about this Christian thing. It, it, it seems like a lot of people's lives are changing, and people are just becoming better people, so it's a good thing. But if that's all I'm thinking, I'm missing so much. Because he says this, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sin. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. I want you to take just a moment and I want you to think about people that you know that you loved and cared about that has gone on, but they believed in Jesus. See, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then my boy's not there. You see? But I believe with everything that I am in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last verse. If our hope then is in Christ is only for this life, then we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. See, there's a lot of churches, there's something, there's a movement happening, but it's not a major movement of Christ, because it's not resting in the power of His resurrection. There's a lot of churches that have, have changed their philosophy and gotten away from the gospel that saves and have turned to psychology. We, we have a lot of churches that are pushing for, for our best lives now. And I'm not saying that we can't have good lives now. What I'm saying is that there's a lot of places where we are completely seeing churches completely focused only on helping you just get through this life. What he's saying is if your hope 
in Christ is only for this life, then you are the most pitied person in the whole world. And the word pitied here actually translate pathetic. That's, 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 a, that's a tough one. You see, pity can come two different ways. It can be, a, I have pity on someone, sympathy or compassion. But the other side is the opposite. It's not where you have pity. It's you see it as, that's pathetic. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could have your best life now. Jesus died on the cross so that you could have everlasting life. Everlasting life. Everlasting life. I don't care about my life. In fact, Paul says, what does he say? I want to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have trouble. You read 1 Peter, it talks all about sufferings. He doesn't remove sufferings. He says, get through the sufferings because there's eternal life waiting for you. So, if you're wanting to find a church that's just talking about how to help you now, and there's a lot of them out there, isn't there? There are so many. I, I, I've watched so many churches, and they're growing and growing and growing, and they have all these people, but they don't, you don't hear about the resurrection of Christ. You don't hear about the virgin birth, because those are miraculous things, and we don't want to offend anybody. Well, then that's not Christianity. Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross, buried, raised to life, offers me eternal life. That's what we're about. That's what we're about. So what do we do now? I want you to think about these questions. This is for you. This is my last slide. So what now? Like what? Here's the deal. I, I did my very best to present God's Word statistics of where the American church is headed, and I'm asking you, do you really believe what you say you believe is really real? I'm, 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 this, is a, this is a pivotal question. Before you can get to the second and third and fourth question, this is the one, do I really believe it? Do I believe it with everything, that, does every fiber in my body, do I really believe that Jesus died? Do I really believe that he was the son of God? Do I really believe that he died for my sins? Do I really believe that he raised from the dead? Do I really believe there's life after death? Do I really believe that? Because if you do, it should change everything. Not just a moment of your, not just a day, because when you start thinking about what you believe, has that belief changed your life? You, you, you hearing me? Has that belief changed your life? Then the next question is, has it turned you inside out for him? <laughs> yes, I love it. <laughs> and now, has it affected the world around you? Is there so much of Jesus changing your life that it's now beginning to affect your children or your parents or those, your spouse? Has it began to, 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 to overflow into your co-workers and the kids that you go to school with? It'd be awesome if you youth were listening. Has Jesus so changed your life that it changes everything around you. Because if it hasn't, you need that to happen in your life because there's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than when he turns everything and there's no doubt left. All of that faith and all of that belief has pushed out all the doubt and all you have left is to respond. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to to think about these questions for just a moment. We have an amazing, we're going to have a baptism here in just a moment. I'm so excited. But before we do that and before we begin to open up this altar, what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you, I want you to, to really ask yourself, do I really believe what I say I believe? Now, I need my prayer team. I need my elders and my pastors. I, I, I need my my deacons, whoever, just, just to be ready to pray. Just to be ready. Here's the thing is a lot of times we know a lot about God. I, I remember growing up 
uh, I, I went forward so many times at church because I was afraid that it didn't take. You know, like, I was always afraid of that. I'm not saying to, to keep going forward, but what I'm asking you is this. Do you really believe? If you believe, you, the Bible says that you confess with your mouth Jesus the Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you shall be saved. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's it. If you believe, you're in. You may need to go through a formality of, of letting the world know and confessing Jesus before the world, but do you really believe? That's the question. Do you really believe? Or are you going through the motions? Do you really believe? If there's anyone here with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, and maybe today is that day you want to place your faith there's anyone here today that says, today I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to place my faith in Him right here, right now. Throw your hand up in the air. And don't be ashamed of it. The greatest thing that we can ever do is give our life to Jesus. So let me ask you this, since all of you are saying that you're saved, which is awesome and great. Has that faith, is that faith turning your home inside out for Jesus? Is it changing your life every day? Is it spilling over into the workplace? Maybe today you're kind of feeling, you look at these statistics that we shared, and maybe you're feeling a little bit guilty of that I haven't been sharing my faith. How many of you struggle sharing your faith? Raise your hand. A large number of people here today say, I'm struggling sharing my faith. How many of you today say, I I want Jesus to come out of my mouth. I want to start sharing my faith. I want to be bolder than I've ever been in my life. Now let's do it. Let's share our faith. The altar is open. Maybe you need to come and say, God, I'm sorry for not sharing my faith as I know I should. Maybe you want to grab one of the, the prayer team around and say, would you pray over me? Would you pray that I'll have the strength and the, and, and, and the boldness to do it? Maybe you need to grab one of the, the folks to pray over you and just say, pray for boldness. Don't be afraid. Maybe there's somebody right now that you know is in your home or a neighbor or a coworker or a student that you know is lost right now. I want you to think, everyone, right now, there's got to be somebody in your life that you know needs Jesus so bad. I want you to pray for them right now. I want you to pray for their salvation right now. And I want you to ask God for an opportunity to share your faith with them right now.